Welcome to Mount Rushmore. My name is Jeff, and I'm joined as always by my friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. But we have another special guest, a friend to Richard, Michael, and myself, a guy named Paul Lurie, who's joining us from Massachusetts. Paul, are you on the line? Here I am, all the way from Massachusetts. <laughs> Paul is eating chowder in Boston with all the, the rest of the folks there. He parked his car in Harvard Yard, and now he's going to join us with a topic that he suggested through our social media site. And that topic was what, Paul? Uh, time travel, uh, devices, vehicles, what have you, in film. Oh, oh. We didn't choose any what have you. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Paul, Paul, this is a great subject. Why did you choose it? Well, uh, I've always been a big fan of the genre of uh, time travel, and it's been done well so many times, al almost as many times as it's been done absolutely terribly. <laughs> but uh, in the in the rare instances that it's done well, it, it can become an iconic thing and an iconic method of travel through time. Uh, Paul... Even though you are a guest, you are the home team since you chose the subject. So You're at Fenway I, right now. Yeah, I also have the advantage of being three hours in the future. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, yeah, so to help make things more equitable for Michael and Richard, they are going to start. All right, uh, which of you gentlemen is going to lead off? Uh, Michael, I'll, go ahead. Okay, uh, our first choice is the DeLorean from the Back to the Future movies. Back to the Future is one, two, and three. Was this a European Also thing? on my list. Oh, oh you chose that? Okay, well, Richard yeah, Michael, why did, why did you pick it? Uh, I think, first of all, it's somehow for our generation has become the most iconic of all time travel machines. And also, it kind of acted as a, uh, a time capsule as well. It represented 1985 even more so than the you know gratuitous uses of Tab and Huey Lewis in the news. Is there, is there any use of Huey Lewis that's really gratuitous, though, Michael? Get down to it. <laughs> it was very of the time in 1985 when it first came out. I'm sure that, well, I don't know, were DeLoreans actually, did people actually dr drive DeLoreans or did we just uh, look back and assume that everybody in 1985 had a DeLorean? I remember seeing news items more about De DeLorean and DeLorean himself and John DeLorean yeah. and his illegal battles and troubles and things like that. Yeah, the DeLorean powered by cocaine. Yeah, yeah. Fueled <laughs> by it. Literally fueled by it mm -hmm. well no and not just actually i do have a friend that's got a 1985 delorean does he, he have it souped up purchased like, does he have it like back to the future no he does not yet he does fusion. not yet but he t took like ten thousand dollars for him to some insane amount of money to get it actually running oh wow because I mean, you think about it, there's no parts it's not like you can go to a auto zone and get like a uh, replacement you know yeah. door wing thing yeah, your DeLorean. So I feel like they're all at Radio Shack, and those are going <laughs> those out are of going out those of business. Those are also yeah. only in business <laughs> in 1985. Well, what was the reason you chose it, Paul? Well, I mean, the, one of the great things about the movie is Doc Brown loosely explains the idea for time travel, this flux capacitor, and they never actually explain what it is or how it works. He said that's how time travel is possible, but he it doesn't matter because the car is just so cool, you <laughs> yeah. know. It looks like an alien ship to the people in the past. The doors open like wings. I mean, it looks cool. That's the only thing going for it. The battery constantly dies during the movie. Like, he has to start it by hitting his head on the wheel. Um, I'm not sure how familiar with you guys are with the uh, the Back to the Future. Like, original script was the uh, the time travel machine was a refrigerator. 
No, no way. <laughs> yes, uh, the the finale was Marty gets in a refrigerator, Doc puts it in a truck, and they drive to a nuclear testing site, and he leaves the refrigerator um, in the middle of the testing site while the atomic bomb goes off is that in how, 1955. Is that how... Did they just reconfigure that for, crystal Indiana skull? Jones, yeah, for the Indiana yeah. Jones movie? Yeah, yeah. That's I, I, I think they just were like, oh, we never use this, so... I wonder, um, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, they, they changed it eventually because they're like, oh, you know, we don't want a bunch of kids locking themselves in refrigerators. And I think eventually they made that Punky Brewster episode yeah, exactly. to, to double down on the fact that going in a refrigerator is not cool. You know, and it later led to the uh, DeLorean tagline, uh, this car's better than locking yourself in a refrigerator. <laughs> oh, that's right. I remember that. You know, speaking of revisions, I wonder if the 88 miles an hour was a revision of the car. Because maybe they had written it so, like, you had to travel at 288 miles an hour. And they're like, no car can actually drive that fast. And they're like, okay, uh, 88. And you can put that. A car can go 88, can't right, it? Right, yeah, yeah, you can get up to that. Seems right. Yeah. And, yeah. and you guys I, are- I, you guys don't know that the DeLorean was originally played by Eric Stoltz. <laughs> oh, that's right. And then yeah. he got, then then he he got, got fired. Got from fired, the and they brought in the DeLorean <laughs> as replacement the halfway through the I show. Can, I can picture them trying to get the DeLorean up to 88, and there's just a guy with like a stopwatch, and they're like, it's got to go 88. And he's just like shaking his head. They're like, we'll do it in post. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was pretty amazing. Paul, uh, I'm just going to be uh, clear as a judge. I realize a normal judge in a trial wouldn't do this, wouldn't say who's winning, but so far you're winning because you actually have actual facts. Um, that's, oh, that's I mean, unfair. Absurd. You guys, I didn't even get to the fact that my first job out of college was working at Back to the Future the Ride at Universal. I've got Back to the Future for days. Oh, How Jeff. much barf did you clean up? Oh, man. Well, they never called it barf. You had to refer to it over the radio as a Code 6 or a protein spill. <laughs> It was it was hard to measure, but you know how like in a in usually, an elementary school, usually a protein spill a, is in the back seat of a car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you know how um in a in an elementary school there's like a little bucket of the sawdust. Yeah. That oh, the yeah. janitor throws over it. They had two industrial sized dumpsters full of it in the basement that you'd go and like you were filling up an ice bucket at a hotel. Oh wow! And you'd go scoop it out and bring it to the site, and they had to constantly refill the dumpsters because the ride produced a lot of uh, revisits to your lunch. What what was it? It was like time traveling back to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a second! I I, I was doing some research here while we were talking. There was a Back to the Future cartoon. Oh sure. Oh yeah. Really? For sure. They they traveled around in that uh, garbage train thing that. Like that it was, was Doc yeah. and Clara and his sons Jules and Vern. Huh. I wonder where they got that from. That was right, the monsters. Yes. That was that was the best thing about Back to the Future Three is that there seemed to be some sort of finality with it where they just destroyed the DeLorean. Uh, but then they ruined it right away by introducing the stupid flying train. So it's an awesome choice, DeLorean, for uh, time travel. That could also have been in uh, Mount Rushmore vehicles if we ever do that. The DeLorean, as far as like a storied and much loved contraption these gentlemen started off with delorean and that was their first pick but paul you also share that one well as far as time machines go uh i chose the time machine from the movie the time machine well we're gonna sort of on our list we're we're gonna shorten this up uh on (laughs) the front half of of mount rushmore this week where because the time machine is on our list too sort of now we're talking about 1960 here not the uh 
the Rod Taylor. 2002 reboot. No, our, our time machine, um, and we're going to split this up into two parts, but obviously it's your pick, but ours is from the time machine slash time af- movie Time After Time. time. But go ahead, oh. with, go ahead with yours. I mean, this is kind of the original time travel story. The, the movie is based on an 1895 H.G. Wells. I mean, when you talk about time, the 1895, when the story is written, that's 10 years after... Back to the Future 3 takes place, so who's to say H.G. <laughs> Wells didn't meet Marty McFly and come up with this idea for this book that became the movie that came out five years after the events of The Enchantment Under the Sea Dance. But I think I'm uh, going, I'm, I'm traveling back to the first pick. You're remixing. Yeah, there's definitely, yeah. you're building You're building a now, story. Now we're going to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> I know where they keep the yeah. sawdust. Um, did, did you? When did you first encounter this film? Was it on television or Netflix? Yeah, or? I mean, this was probably growing up. This was one of the uh, early like American movie classics from the '60s, and you know, this my dad liked this one growing up. And I mean, when you talk about the vehicle itself, it's arguably the most powerful time travel vehicle because it starts in the year 1900. And it goes to the year eight hundred and two thousand seven hundred and one. Yeah, and even further, I think I think in the movie it travels another it, like yeah. three hundred million years or so. Yeah. What's weird? It's is- just an absurd amount. They're like, oh, we can go from nineteen hundred to nineteen forty, and they're like, what about a little further? Okay, nineteen sixty six. I was thinking a little further. <laughs> what about eight hundred and two thousand? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Is that when it, the Let's vehicle, not get crazy here. The vehicle stops but... and, and Keith Richards is there to greet them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah, they should have stopped in 2002 to stop uh, Guy Pierce from remaking it. <laughs> so, uh, why is this on your Richard and Michael? Why is some variant of Time Machine on yours? I think I think we have it here because it seemed to cover a couple different bases. One, it covered a couple different movies at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only the Time Machine, the 1960s movie. Um, and then also it was the same sort of machine, almost the same. It's basically, machine. supposed to be basically supposed to be the same machine, the same device from the nineteen uh, seventies movie Time After Time, which yeah. was a Richard. Yeah, I'll handle this one since this, this was actually one of my favorite movies growing up. Oh, I remember yeah. my mom loved it. And we watched it anytime it came on the old uh, independent channel fifty three. Yeah, shout out. The premise is basically that H G Wells has actually built a time machine. Oh yeah. And Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, played by Malcolm yep. McDowell in a rare, like, non-creepy yeah. uh, serial killer role. Yeah. However, there is a serial killer because it turns out one of his friends is Jack the Ripper. Yeah. And when the police come for him, he hops in the time machine and takes off. However, through a series of, you need to ha- have a key. If you don't have the key, then the machine will just hop back to exact the exact right. same point in time. So he's able to hop in to chase after him, and they wind up in 1970s. San Francisco, oh yeah, where all serial killers go apparently, <laughs> in every movie that has a serial killer ever. I like I like the movies where they hop into the future, like the, it happened in uh, the Time Machine, and it happens in like Time After Time, where they jump into the future and expect utopia, and it's just the yeah fucking seventies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That, that's one of the plot points as H.G. Wells is talking about how the future is going to be a utopia, yeah. and he hops in, and it's. Like you said, it's the fucking streets of San Francisco. It just yes. kind of sucks. Just sucks. Yes. There, but he does meet the lovely Mary Steenburgen, otherwise known as uh, Kate Bush's less weird American <laughs> aunt. Um, wow, Mary Steenburgen, also from uh, Back to the Future 3. And the oh cartoon. Oh my gosh, yeah. And the cartoon. 
Oh yeah. So I I will. This is points for nostalgia for all of you because I remember seeing this film not once but I think twice at Seville Square in the uh, Country Club Plaza in Kansas City, turning the sci-fi genre into a thriller with David Warner as Jack the Ripper and yeah, and it's interesting because it's not. I mean, a lot of time travel movies you have it hops back and forth and there's multiple. This is just it goes to the seventies then it comes back, and it is really more of a setup to the, your tip, crocodile Dundee esque fish out of water type yeah. movie for a good chunk of it. Uh, one interesting point, I did did do a little research here. You, um, don't, you don't have to mention that. We assume. You assume that I did. I was, yeah. I know. It's, it's my thing, Michael. It's my, it's my catchphrase. You're jumping on my catchphrase. Wow. Let's, so, um, let's there, travel back in time and work on that one. So there was a deleted scene that featured H.G. Wells getting mad at a punk who was playing um, oh, music yeah. too loud on a boombox. That was deleted. Uh-huh. Uh, turns out that the movie was uh, written and directed by Nicholas Meyer, who went on to co-write Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Oh. So basically just reused that. For a future. Oh scene. yeah, he didn't. He didn't the have a Spock refrigerator. To yeah, the thing with Spock, where he just like basically yeah. like he didn't have a refrigerator to stick him in. <laughs> did not have a refrigerator. No. What I think is interesting about both of these concepts is that fish out of water aspect of time travel is is very fun. Yeah, I, when you say fish out of water, and you mentioned crocodile Dundee, my brain shut off thinking about the possibility of a third crocodile dundee time travel movie oh that would be incredible oh, let's I get the ad wizards on that one you mean you mean yeah. a uh, a fourth one yeah the three f- was the uh los angeles one. Oh, yeah. in los angeles Hollywood, yeah. yeah where he traveled yeah. in a, a magic uh refrigerator i do i do like also in uh uh the time machine how how far in the future they go and like the two races of people uh, and obviously the book it was more of a like a commentary on like uh, capitalism and socialism but mm-hmm. in the book, they just turn into like these blonde, stupid idiots yeah. that can't read and are yeah. unconcerned with things. And maybe Trump's America yeah. has really taken <laughs> hold. Yeah, this is hitting a little close to home right now. Yeah. And then they have you know the monstrous Morlock workers. But <laughs> I, it's funny. Like when I think of time machines, I don't think of the DeLorean, and I don't think of like the ball of energy from like Terminator Two. I think of like the time sled. I think of like that thing oh, with yeah. like the clock and the big, like it's just like a physical. I th- yeah, gizmo. I think of yeah. that thing particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the old levers and the Victorian era like steamship. Yeah, has controls. A, Very a, steampunk. Steampunk. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's when you look at steampunk. I mean a lot of that comes. To, I think it was Wells and obviously more. It was just work. steam, not <laughs> steampunk. <laughs> We are at our halftime, and I implore you to be more and more like Paul Lurie every day. Paul was a listener to the podcast and then jumped in and became a participant and guest to this podcast by leaving a suggestion on the social media site of Facebook, where we have our uh, Mount Rushmore podcast page. And uh, Paul is often a frequent uh, supporter and often detractor to this podcast via the Twitter and, and all the other avenues. Was Paul the one who gave the uh, the review of, not bad, yeah. or whatever it was? Something glowing. Pretty good. Nah, my, my review was shorter than that. <laughs> <laughs> the poop icon emoji is what Paul left. But you can uh, go ahead and download, rate, and review and um, leave your feedback for us. It helps us improve the podcast. It helps us uh, get good ideas as to future future suggestions i went to the future and i've seen some of these suggestions are <laughs> pretty good or you could travel back in time and uh, listen to all the different uh past episodes we have you know if you go back to march 1st 2016 you'll listen to a very scratchy low, low fidelity recording about fictional presidents that are still uh uh 
better than the one we wish was fictional currently. So uh, here we are. We're back. And we are going to go with Team Ricky Mikey yes. uh, with their third choice. Let's, so, not, let's not get let's that Let's not trending. do that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, not a hashtag we should have, folks. <laughs> do not hashtag that. We're, we're back, and uh, Michael and Richard are going to let us know what their third choice is. Uh, so our third choice is the movie uh, Time Bandits. Oh, right on. And we thought about, it was a little tough because there's actually, the way they actually transport in Time Bandits are just like wormholes, basically. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, but they're, they're, they're holes in the time, of time and space. That, yeah. that the Supreme Being, because he created the universe so quickly, uh, he... That's so Terry <laughs> Gilliam. <laughs> just kind of left it. He just left a bunch of holes and... and <laughs> So it. Jeff, you've been doing some uh, some work here on the house. Are you yeah. have any familiarity with that? <laughs> We've got some holes in time, some vortexes, some wormholes. Some really, really need to you know, patch them up. Patch the patch the bad we boys did, up. We did lose our cat for a while. She came back as a kitten, <laughs> then she came back as a very old cat. Uh, so we we thought about that, but really, what how you inter- interface with it is the actual maps themselves. Mm-hmm. So again, Time Bandits, a favorite film of both of ours. Oh yeah. Um, and if, like I said, it's just a very Terry Gilliam sort of way to get through time is just mm-hmm. to have these maps that say, go here, go here, go here. It's, it's like a treasure map. Is that right? Yeah. It's okay. basically a treasure map. I, I, I've seen Time Bennett's probably 10 times before I was 15 years old and I can't remember the map. Yeah. Really? It's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the it's the main device or the main, I, I guess, MacGuffin or whatever you uh-huh. want to call it that the uh, the dwarves or little people. I don't know what the technical term is or the appropriate term. Movie stars. Bo- <laughs> both of those are wrong. <laughs> Little persons. Uh, yeah, that uh, they. It's kind of like a blue thing, and it's got like it's a map. It's just a, it's just a map that these guys carry yeah. around, and they, yeah. they they use it to find portals through time, in which they will plunder, <laughs> plunder the wealth of the ages. So, so point even, of order. So is even, this a time machine? It's a time travel device. device. It's a device. Yeah, it's yeah. a thing that they a, use to travel through. It's time. a plot device. <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> uh, so we, we figured that it was something that they use to navigate the weird and wonderful world. And since they're so Gilliam's small, they could use it as a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> a tent. I, and I love the ending of this movie, you guys. It's just such a weird, like, firefighter comes in and it's, Spoiler alert. Yeah. Agamemnon. It's just, where did they... It's just strange just, all around. It's, it's, very, it's, it's, the, it's very one of those terrible. deus ex machina Terry Gillum endings, right? It's yeah. kind of a disruptive there, there's reality. A, there's a great moment when they're fighting evil mm-hmm. where, you know, so far you've only, you've only kind of traveled through the, the past history. Mm-hmm. You, you know, they go back into Roman times and they go back into the, Robin, the fake Robin Hood times. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... Uh, uh, one of the time bandits comes in with like this laser, like this, uh, the spaceship and he's gone like some, somehow traveled <laughs> to the future and gotten like a, a, you know, some, yeah some spaceship from the far future. And like, yeah. they didn't really address it until that one moment. And it's just so perfect and mm-hmm. weird. I love the ensemble and time bandits. Cause usually in a movie, you only get one wacky sidekick and there's like six of them going together in this. Uh, so what, what's unique about this is the, uh, the ensemble traveling through time, you know, if, unless we see a, uh, in, in other films, you know, hot, something like Hot Tub Time Machine, they usually don't travel as a group. It's an individual, right? And so I think that was one thing I loved about the film. Well, and then it turns out that the Supreme Beam actually just kind of let them have the map as kind of a test. Yeah. It's very like a story of Abraham, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I want you to kill your daughter. No, no, not really yeah. kill your daughter, you <laughs> idiot. Didn't mean that. Yeah. So it's kind of like what the uh, yeah. the map represents in the movie. It's sort of this thing that we'll see how you do if we give you this thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it turns out not not very well. Yeah, it does seem kind of yeah. Insane. The 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 fact that Jeff doesn't even remember the map so much is the the Gilliam style was like the process of getting there was less important than what happened. I mean, when you talk about Gilliam and 12 monkeys, yep. they put oh, Bruce sure. Willis in a, in a giant, like plastic bag and shoot him into a box. <laughs> yeah. They just and need to get it's him. It's not the most, it's not the most eye pleasing or dramatic thing, but it's barely part of it. It's more about the actual where they end up and what happens then. Yeah. And it... yeah. Like when you said, Oh, it's strange and weird. But you already said it's Terry Gilliam, so I think that <laughs> yeah. kind of goes hand in hand. So yeah, what we seem to establish the is that time travel devices are just that. They're devices that we can use to abruptly change the narrative at any point, to put characters in these extreme situations in which they're confronted with their desires or they're allowed to uh, fulfill these interests that they have and seeing what it, the future holds for them or going back and redoing something in the past. So yeah, it's definitely a device. Uh, and until then, until this suggestion, they were a solo. So I think that's kind of fun to see what happens when an ensemble um, jumps in there together. Terry Gillum is a storyteller for whom plot is a horrible inconvenience. <laughs> he, he, <Right. laughs> he really just wants to send his characters all over the planet and do a million different things and make these philosophical statements and make these surreal statements. So uh, certainly a time travel device is, is and, a lot of fun. And I, didn't real- <clears throat> and I didn't realize this when I, we were coming up with it, but Evil, played by David Warner, who also played Jack the Ripper in Time After Time. Oh, maybe he, went back, maybe oh, he yeah. went back in time, some sort of time travel, knew he was going to do one yeah, and he, did the other. He got into that... Uh, Refrigerator, with 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 Mary Steenburgen in the nineteen seventies. And now now this now you get into the dream I had a couple of nights ago. <laughs> uh... There's also something that's almost like the comedic side of Tolkien. This this group of of uh, merry band of dwarves, merry band of dwarves, yeah. robbing dwarves. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, all right. So uh, Paul, uh, you've been doing exceptionally well at this uh, um the sport that Michael and Richard have played uh, just against each other. So you were weighing in with the topic. Um, you're creating the topic makes me suspect that uh, you just use, you wouldn't have picked something else that you just knew you could kind of kick some ass on this. So uh, um, what, what's your next well, choice? Well, you guys were talking about the solo time traveler and, and how he, time bandits has the large capacity, but I think I might've picked the vehicle with the largest capacity for time traveling. That is, uh, the phone booth from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, we thought about this yeah. one too. We didn't yeah. choose, we didn't choose it, but we thought about it. Oh yeah. That's like a Richard move, by the way. Yeah, I thought about that, so I'll get credit for it when we <laughs> it, right. We know how um, to play we know how to play this game. The phone booth I mean at one point at one point the... they've got Bill, Ted, Billy the Kid, Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> Socrates, Sigmund Freud, Genghis Khan, Joan of Arc, and Beethoven in there. Yeah, I mean it, it breaks the machine, but mm-hmm. Was this that, a ripoff that, of the TARDIS from Doctor Who? Well, it was a little bit of that. And it was also like, oh, they used the same keypad that the DeLorean had. And mm. they, it, it, the f- classic fish out of water, with multiple fishes, mm-hmm. uh, Bill and Ted. Yeah. I mean, this this movie was 
like it came out at the right time for me when I was growing up that this was just like it was the historical figures in such a goofy way luring Genghis Khan into the phone booth with a Twinkie and <laughs> like it and then like they end up fixing the antenna with with by chewing bubble gum and sticking it to it. it, it mm-hmm. The, the, when they're flipping through the phone book to find where they want to go. Everything about this was the the goofy side of history. Yeah. It's, and, one, uh, it's one of the rare movies where you know the two main characters' full first names. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, I still don't know why uh, Keanu Reeves' character is a lawyer. He, <laughs> well, they, they Ted need... Theodore... Lo- oh, oh, no, Squire. Bill. Sorry. Yeah. Bill S. Preston Esquire. <laughs> well, we have someone so intelligent. You have to yeah. come up with some explanation for it. And then they just. Do you remember the film "Dude, Where's My Car?" came out? Like there was a sense of this is saw it in the theater on opening day. <laughs> <laughs> there was a sense of like this is a a movie that is so dumb that it's kind of broadcasting its dumbness. Like when Bill and Ted came out, Keanu Reeves was not. A acknowledged thespian like he is today with his John Wicks and, and all the things. And his John Wicks, too. And his John Wicks, the deuce. So I feel like <laughs> I, at the time, it's perhaps it's cobbling together a time travel motif from things like Doctor Who and Back to the Future was part of its boneheaded way of saying, hey, folks, we this is a Big Mac, not a filet mignon that you're buying here, just so you know when you go into it. I mean, there is, is Doctor Who too smart for you? Well, we we can fix that. Was was Back to the Future? Uh, did it have? They even like in Back to the Future. There's a thing with him and his mom, but in, and in this one, the well maybe it was the sequel where Ted's high school crush ends up marrying his dad. Like yeah, that was the first one. Yeah. No, oh right. yeah, yeah. So it's like oh yeah, you're attracted to your mom. Well, we got a stepmom, so it's slightly more okay in those red states. <laughs> it was. It wasn't until the second one where she left one father to. Go marry the other one. Yeah, and then they go to hell and write a I was a big, song for Kiss. I was Kiss. a big fan of uh, Bogus Journey. Journey. I was going to say, you do, you do have to, if, if you're claiming this for the first one, you do also have to claim it for the second one. Oh, I'm, I'm not shying away from okay. that. I, I'm just, just I, it has the one of my favorite lines when he says, we've got to go defeat the evil robot uses with the good robot uses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think... Uh, Bogus Journey was right up there with Gremlins 2 in terms of being like a great sequel that felt so different from the first one. That used it as commentary. Yeah. Yeah. It was they, kind they, of they meta could, yeah, in some so, ways. Yeah. I, I remember seeing the sequel and thinking, I had seen William Sadler in other films before, but not in which he could play so dramatic as death and then so comedic with such a quick turn where mm-hmm. he became this the life of the party after a while. And I think, yeah. we, I think we can all agree there's definitely less Claypool's best uh, comedic Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. It might have been George Carlin's best comedic acting role in a, uh, in a sequel. What I, what I like about the phone booth <laughs> is that... <laughs> what I like about the phone booth is that it was, it was eventually, maybe by, you know, just happenstance, that it was a play on just the old game from the 1950s of, or maybe even before of how many people can you stuff into a phone? Yeah. Right. Like you got to that point, you know, in, in the movie, they get to that point where it seems to break, break the rules a little bit where they can only travel while they're in the phone booth. And then they're flying through space time on its side when they realize right. that. Like, uh-huh. I'm waiting for them to like get a little too close to one of the edge of the circuits of time and just like totally scalp off 
Sigmund Freud's head because he just hits the electric blue light. <laughs> that's a like, dark, well, that's I guess, a dark uh, I guess we're not getting credit for that. That's a dark version of that. I do appreciate the fact that it was a phone booth, which, you know, if you show it to a kid today, they have no idea what it is. And it is now a relic of a past time. Yeah. Yeah. It is something that you most drug deals happen. In. Uh, so what's uh, one thing I one question I have for you, uh, Paul, is how much protein was spilled in the Bill and Ted attraction at Universal? They actually did have a uh, a show for Halloween Horror Nights. That was the Bill and Ted Halloween Spectacular. Yeah, when Halloween Horror Nights came around in, in uh, Orlando, people would be so excited for the show, Bill and Ted's Halloween, whatever it was called. And, you know, this is 20, 25 years after the movie. And they just it's just like these two characters that... You hear people, the kids going and going. Yeah, this is this is funny. Who who are those two guys though? We know every other character in this. I mean, when you, if you show this to a kid now, are they going to think what's more obscure and unknown to them, Sigmund Freud or a phone booth? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, wow. So we've had a lot of agreement here, but this is this is the first one, right? That that uh, yeah, we're that we haven't had on both your lists. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's what's on your list, uh, Michael and Richard? Our last one is the time machine from Napoleon Dynamite, oh. which is more of a <laughs> which is more of a failed time machine, uh, which I think really represents a big theme from the movie, which is this idea of wanting to travel to the past to relive a past memory or to fix something to get out of this town that you're in to get anywhere and to kind of escape. Escape to 1982, uh-huh. but it's you're never going to do it. What's going to happen if you get out there? You're going to be you in 1982 yeah. and still be a loser. Yeah. What is this a? Does this bring up the idea that a time machine is in the eyes of the beholder? <laughs> one <laughs> oh, as a de- we're, we're, the topic was Mount Rushmore of movie time travel devices. The reality was this device did nothing. <laughs> it was not. It was like it was a bad shock device but, yeah, but, bad <laughs> but it's an experience that the individual perceives themselves right so if it I, works for him then it works right i think so i i paul you brought up 12 monkeys earlier and it was something that we had kind of thought of uh when we were coming up with this pick this idea that no matter if you travel back to the time like it depends on the type of time travel in a movie some movies you can kind of affect your future and change it completely, like in the Back to the Future movies. Uh, in 12 Monkeys, it just closes the circuit. He travels back, in, like in, based on the, the, the short the movie, but he travels back in time to witness the thing that he had witnessed as a child. Like, all he does, he doesn't affect the future. He just, the character travels back in time. And so when thinking of Napoleon Dynamite, uh, I kept thinking of, well... No matter what these guys would do, if they happened to travel back in time, they wouldn't. Have, their lives would end up the same. They would, or worse, or somehow. worse. Yeah, Uncle Rico somehow would have like screwed it up even more, like would have blown his blown his knee out, like like wrestling with his goofing around with his buddies, like before he even suited up for the football team. Yeah, I mean, I made a, a long list of possibilities, and I had this on the list. It's not on my Mount Rushmore, but I put a star next to it and said, most likely Michael and Richard are going to pick this one. <laughs> awesome. Well, we we are a cliche now. Good job, everybody. I mean, I, I was trying to uh, debate over which ones were time travel devices, and 
I had a, different columns, like, I kind of ruled out movies that had time travel based on wishes or, like, <laughs> magic fountains <laughs> or, like... In, in Superman when he flies around the earth and I told you we should have gone back. with magic fountains. <laughs> now I'll tell you one the one debate the one debate that we had even up to today and I, I hopefully this doesn't maybe it leads into your last one probably not was if cryogenics counts as a uh, oh. time travel device or if that's you going Demolition Man on me? Oh Demolition Man what were the other ones I thought of? Uh, Austin, Aliens Austin, Austin Powers. Powers Austin Powers although well, Austin Powers features the Austin number Powers of, has its own time machine they though. have like Three different types right. of time Right, they have this, the swirly vortexy thing and two. Got a car. Uh, but I don't know if that counts or if that's just like a really good nap. <laughs> <laughs> I guess a bottle of Jack Daniels would be a time machine too. Could be. That's, <laughs> jump forward to yeah. the whole weekend. So why, why does why do these? Is it because we're the subject was time travel devices and that not something that's actually neurological or um, is that is that? It wasn't. Yeah, there's. They actually didn't time travel. They just. Yeah, slept for the, a long yeah. time. Clocked out for a while. Yeah, yeah. time travel. Uh, my device was blacking out for long periods of <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, I remember some of college. <laughs> I think that there. I I think that this too, this stupid machine in Napoleon Dynamite revolves around crystals and just plugging it in and putting this thing up to your crotch with like a bad labeling job on <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just it's, it's just, very Batman. It's very sixties Batman. I remember seeing this movie. And people thinking that it took place in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Like, just, like, they felt like it was like, oh, yeah, well, that movie took place in the 80s. Like, no, they talk about surfing the internet and, like, yeah. everything. Right. Like, they talk about traveling back in time. They just happen to, it just has the look that it Yeah, of, rural of Utah basically looks like the 80s <laughs> is what they're saying. Yeah, Idaho, yeah. Idaho, whatever the freak it's supposed to be. Yeah, they haven't quite saying. reached the future in every, <laughs> they haven't reached the present, I suppose. <laughs> It's, it's his own form of time travel. Go to rural Idaho. It's like you're back in you know, yeah, the 80s. We just got MTV. Like, <laughs> that's why it looks like it's from the past. Um, it's up to you, Paul. You can affect the future of the Mount Rushmore podcast by choosing something really interesting as the last pick. What do you got? Uh, man, no pressure. No we'll pressure. just cut this out, and I'll travel back and do it again <laughs> if it's not. Um, so the ones I picked so far were... The, the car was cool, the the power of the time machine to go the furthest, uh, the capacity of the phone booth. Um, the last one I picked was uh, the Omega 13 from Galaxy Quest. Oh, fun. Oh, what a fun pick. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So the at the start of the movie, they, they're, the Galaxy Quest movie, the, it's the cast of the show. It's like based on Star Trek, basically, and the show was canceled. In the final episode, they hinted at this new technology called the Omega-13. It was canceled with a cliffhanger. No one knew what it was, and people... It was basically the fans created the hypothesis that it was a time travel device that could uh, go back 13 seconds. Now, and the aliens who built all the technology that they saw in the show... I guess took to the fan boards and <laughs> yeah, yeah. they said, "Well, this one, this one isn't finished. Let's see what young Justin Long and that long neck nerdy kid who's in every movie, um, you know the one." And uh, so they use it at the end. It goes back and they say it's enough to fix one mistake. And it's actually a pretty for a goofy wacky movie. It's a pretty cool scene that this time travel device is able to not only go back, but it brings everyone unknowingly back 13 seconds. So it just kind of resets. The only one knows is the one who executes the button. So 
the entire ship, the entire scene jumps back 13 seconds and they're able to, to fix the bad thing that happened. This is the deus ex machina, as we've discussed on this podcast, that saves the day. Didn't propel the narrative. It just saved everybody's asses. <laughs> and, and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the equivalent of like the Bugs Bunny cartoon on the white background where the giant pencil eraser comes in <laughs> and like turns Daffy Duck into a, a flower yeah. with a flag for a tail. <laughs> I mean, they're, they are into a corner, and this comes back. But it happens in such a way that it it's believable. And, uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily know what it's going to do either. And this is just what he's heard, so he's taking a tremendous leap of faith as well. I mean, this movie is just fantastic. It's, the, it's one of the handful that I own, but if it's on, I'm watching at least an hour of it just because it's... it's so good every time do they do they ever explain how uh tim allen's character knows that he's gone back 13 seconds it's kind of just like or a, do they just like kind a, of accept that uh, it's it's a movie well, you pull it. the trigger then you're the person who knows yeah well he knows because um it all resets back to um tony shalhoub's character entering the room again like he's in the room and he's kind of shooting everybody up and then when he activates it, everything kind of swirls and spins in classic uh, travel fashion. And then suddenly he's back and the door is opening and he's about to walk in. So he he knows the scene has reset because everyone's back alive and not shot with lasers. So I'll, I'll mark that but down. They but don't, they don't know they've been shot yet. So I'll mark that down as kind of, a lowercase no. The, all the leads had... In- were already kind of established in popular culture. Um, all of the supporting characters, almost every one of the aliens, went on to be on a series. There's a tremendous cast. Yeah. Like the fourth ranked alien is Rain Wilson. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And Sam Rockwell, who's the best in everything yeah. ever. His guy. He's never done anything yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, uh. I, heard a, uh, I heard an interview with Sam Rockwell that said they were set to reprise Galaxy Quest as a series for Amazon. Oh, wow. And Everyone was on board, and Tim Allen just couldn't get out of uh, get the contract he had with the ABC show that's been on for like twenty five years. Yeah, uh, he couldn't get that to work. But everyone was ready to go and do it, and then they they scrapped it when Rickman died. So what I thought was really cool was seeing the the variety of choices that you guys made and seeing the evolution. And I think for the most part, it was really interesting to see how time travel as a device went in that journey that a lot of films do where somebody goes from independence to interdependence. A character goes from being a lone wolf who is not connected to anyone else to becoming a functional part of society and part of an ensemble where they depend on each other. And Paul, I think you did a really good job of making choices that supported that. But here's how the points went. Paul, you got a point for the DeLorean. because you added that great uh, color in terms of like the protein spill and all that stuff. Oh, there was some color. <laughs> Pink, yellow, Woof. orange. Rich and Mikey, time machine. I kind of I kind of bought what you're selling with that. I really thought it was compelling. One because you snuck two movies into one. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty good brinksmanship right there. Uh then Paul, you got it back with Bill and Ted. Uh, I really liked the choice there. I looked like how you described it. I liked the uh, the color that you added to that. And guess what? Paul 
went Dark Horse and went sci-fi and got Omega-13 from the Galaxy Quest. And so Paul gets three out of four points. Am I right? Yeah, kind sure. of ish. Kind of ish. So Paul's the winner. For the uh, listener at home, I am pumping my fist. Okay. <laughs> Paul is pumping his fist. And now there's going to be a protein spill. <laughs> <laughs> Just so everybody knows, in, in Massachusetts, the guys are walking around pumping their fists half the time anyway. That's right? true. <laughs> They're thinking about Red yeah. Sox. I just yelled out my window to a guy pumping his fist saying, I won Mount Rushmore <laughs> podcast. And he said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm going to get some chowder. <laughs> So, yeah, that was my dad. Uh, at Plurie is where you find Paul on Twitter, a, at, at sign P-L-U-R-I-E. And he's a funny guy who says a lot of funny things. And um, and if you're ever on a duck boat tour. Yeah. Ask, yeah. ask for me- Paul. Mention, mention Mount Rushmore and get 0% off of your uh, <laughs> trip. I will charge you 125% normal price. <laughs> um, so thanks, uh, Paul, for that suggestion and then getting on this podcast with us and join yeah. advice yeah, guys. thanks buddy thanks paul it was thanks for having me guys I'll, I'll i'll sum it up in my favorite itunes review pretty good pretty good <laughs> pretty good <laughs> pretty good william shakespeare at work again okay so uh this has been mount rushmore i have always as always been jeff i'm richard i'm michael thank you for coming time travelers watch your step as you exit the delorean and remember the future is what you make it